Good morning. If you were with us last week, you know in the subsequent weeks we've been going through the book of Mark. And last week we began Mark 4 and the parable of the sower. Now it's always good to do a little recap because much of what we're looking at today is going to be a continuation. It's going to build off of the parable of the sower, what Jesus is doing with the parables of the kingdom and what he's doing with parables in general. Now you remember the crowds are there, they're coming to Jesus, he's teaching them, and he tells this this story. He says, a farmer went out to sow seed, and as he scattered it, there were four soils that fell upon it. There was a path where the birds swooped in, you remember that one? The rocky soils, uh, with places with the shallow soil, the thorny soil that choked the plants, and finally there was the good soil which produced a super abundant, extraordinary crop. And Jesus finishes in Mark 4, 9, he says this, he says, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Then we have this scene where the disciples, uh, they don't get it. So they've come to him and they come to Jesus in private and they go, hey, great story, Jesus. That was, we loved it. We loved it. Jesus, you can imagine, you know, Peter, what'd you think of it? Oh, uh, the seeds. Love it. Seeds. Great stuff. Judas. Well, there was the plants. We had the plants. Love that story, Jesus. Great story. They don't get it. They don't get it. So they come to Jesus. They want to know. Jesus gives them an interpretation in verse 14. He says, you see, the seed is the word. Birds that come on the path, they are emissaries of Satan. They come and they gobble up the seed before it can even take root. There's rocky soil. It represents those who are zealous. They're uh, on fire. And, and, and before it, there's no, no, there's no root there. Nothing can take root so it burns out. Then there's the uh, thorny soil, and that's the soil that is choked. All the pleasures of this world, the joy of this world, the excitement is burned out. It's choked when tribulation comes. And then you have the final soil. It's the plowed ground, the fertile ground. It receives the word seed, and it flourishes. And you can imagine all the disciples going, of course, ah, yeah, we got that. We totally understood that, Jesus. Well, all makes sense now. It's at that point, before we move on, we have to look at what, what are the point of parables? Why, why does Jesus speak in parables? What's, why isn't he just clear? Jesus, can't you just be clear? Can't you just tell us the straightforward meaning? Jesus says, well, here's why I, I don't do that. Disciples are wondering this, and back in Matthew 13, it's the parallel passage. They actually come to Jesus, and they ask him this very question. They say, Jesus, why do you speak to them in parables? Jesus says in Matthew 13, 13, this is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled. And then he gives the prophecy from Isaiah. And basically what the the prophecy is saying here is it says the people's hearts are dull, their ears are stopped up, their eyes are closed. And we know this to be true because in the first three chapters of Mark, as we've looked, Jesus has been very clear. He's been very straightforward. He he is telling them exactly why he's come, and they want to kill him because of it. So Jesus says these people aren't able to digest the meat. I'm going to feed them milk instead. John Calvin famously said that when God speaks to us, he speaks to us in baby talk. God condescends to us in our weakness. So we're sinful to the core, 
And our faculties are affected by that sin. Our mind, our heart, our ears, our eyes, everything was affected by the fall. So God speaks through Isaiah, and he says, listen, these people aren't going to listen. These people will not see. They are disobedient, rotten little children. They're hearing, but they're not hearing. They're seeing, but they're not hearing. What did, you do? What did daddy and mommy just say? I don't know. I don't know. Now, when you want to convey to a child how something works, how do you speak to them? Do you speak to them the same way you speak to an adult? Obviously not. You don't start with Moby Dick, you know, in their cribs. You start with Dr. Seuss. And so God gives us these stories, these parables, because in our spiritual Im immaturity, we cannot comprehend the clear, the clear, plain things until we have the Holy Spirit come upon us and give us that maturity. And so Jesus says, this is why I speak in parables, so that those who have eyes to see will actually see, and those who have ears to hear will actually hear. And we see this all throughout the Gospels. This is why some hear the parable, they hear it, and they're drawn to it. They're drawn to Jesus. They keep following it. More, more of this. We, we want to hear more. Ex under explain it to us. And then others hear, and they can't perceive it all. What is he talking about? What, a sower and a seed? What, is, what does that even mean? You see, Jesus says, my sheep will hear my voice, and they come. They come hungry. Those whom the Spirit calls will go deeper. The kingdom of heaven belongs to those with childlike faith. The parables, therefore, are mirrors. These are mirrors. We look into them, and what's reflected back to us, especially today, are the principles of kingdom living. We are to ask, where do I fit into the kingdom? What does this parable have, have to do with me? Where do I stand in God's kingdom? Sinclair Ferguson, the pastor, he says this. He says, the parables are the very word of God planted into men's heart in seed form. It's very fitting because as the parable said, there are really four types of soil, heart soils, in this room today. All of us here have four different types of heart soil. And the parable shows that when the word is received, as it should, something extraordinary happens. A crop is going to be produced 50, 100 fold. I mean, just an enormous monstrosity of a crop. Now, the natural tendency is for the audience to critique the preacher. But here, Jesus, the preacher, actually is critiquing the audience. He's saying the issue has never been my word. It's never been the seed. You see, the seed stays the same. It's always been about whether or not you have ears to hear. It's always about the soil. The heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. It's always about the heart. We see the difference here clearly between the disciples of Jesus and the outsiders. Because the disciples, even though they're ignorant, they come. They come wanting to know more. They're curious. They're hungry. They're dying to know the mystery. Jesus, tell us. What was that about? What, what, you know, I, we kind of, what, you know, is this what we're thinking? And Jesus, he, he scolds them a little bit, but he, he's happy to condescend to them. Again, think of uh, your child when they come to you. My, my children come to me. Daddy, what, is, what was that book about? Daddy, why is he doing that in that show? Daddy, what's going on? And they're curious. Their minds are always active, and they come to me for the answers. They want to know more. And so Jesus is saying, listen, the parables want to be interpreted. That's the whole point. They want you to ask questions. God is inviting us to ask questions about his kingdom. God wants us to come on Sunday morning hungry and thirsty 
for righteousness. He wants us to come with tilled and furrowed soil that's ready to receive the word. And you see, what that means then is that what happens between Monday and Saturday is very important for today. How you, what, what comes in your life when, when Satan comes down to swoop up the word you just received on Sunday or, or when you're going there on Tuesday and you hear bad news and now, that, now you're choked out, all the joy is choked out. You see, that's how it works. Nothing can take root. So how do we get good soil? By God's grace, only by God's grace. We, we can cultivate our heart soil. We can resist the devil. We can kill sin. We can nourish our souls with God's word, prayer, fellowship with the saints, but ultimately it's all about grace. We need God's grace. And all of this shows us once again, this is God's sovereignty and man's responsibility working in tandem. Again, it's the same seed every Sunday. Every single Sunday you will come here and you will hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ loves you, he died for your sins, so that you can be free. The parable, therefore, acts as an open door. This is a door. I'm inviting you in. Jesus is inviting you in to the mysteries of God. He says, come look, come ask. Lord, what is the meaning of this? Father, would you explain to me, because I was, I was confused in the pulpit, I was distracted. Lord, would you explain to me what, what I just heard? Our ears are dull, our eyes are heavy. These people will not understand. Our faith is weak. We need grace, grace, and more grace. Now listen to the same language back in the book of Hosea. This is Hosea 10, verse 12. Sow for yourselves righteousness, reap in mercy, break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord till he comes and rains righteousness on you. See, this is spiritual agriculture language. There's a spiritual agriculture taking place in the soil of your heart. Now in the next verse... In verse 13, he says, this is what happens when the wicked sow their seeds. You have plowed wickedness. You have reaped iniquity. You have eaten the fruit of lies because you trusted in your own way, in the multitude of your mighty men. So Jesus says, come, don't, don't do that. Listen to my word. Take my word in. Let it take root. He says, knock. And the door will open to you. If you ask, it will be given. And if you seek, you shall find. Proverbs 25, verse 2, it says, It is the glory of God to conceal things, but the glory of kings is to search things out. So that's what we're going to do today. That's a long intro to get us here to the text today. But, but it's helpful because we're going to be kings today. We're going to search out the things of God. We're going to search this portion of Scripture today. And we're going to come like little children to the feet of Jesus. Tell us a story. Tell us a parable, Jesus. Let us, tell us what the kingdom's like. Let us search the scriptures and find the truth, the love, and the beauty of Christ. So that's what we're going to do. Mark 4, verse 21 and onward. Let's read. And Jesus said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. Now, if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And he said, the kingdom of God 
is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. And he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds. And yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out these large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With, with many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. And he did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. Now, you'll, you'll recognize the first one there because uh, what's the children's song? This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. What is that song about? <laughs> it's sort of about evangelism. Uh, it's sort of about loving your neighbor. It's sort of about being salt and light in the world. It's sort of about a lot of things. It's simple. It's comical. You look at a child and you go, hide it under a bushel. And all of God's people said, no. <laughs> why, why would you hide a light under a bushel? Dad, why would you do that? That's, that's nonsense. And that's what Jesus says. He says, if you have a light, you let it shine. If you have a light, you let it shine. If you have the truth of God, you have a responsibility not to cover it up. Let it shine. Let it shine forth. Jesus is saying, God didn't light your lamp for it to remain hidden, for you to cover it up. Once your soil receives the seed, you don't let the crop die. You harvest. It should produce. It should be harvested. And that fruit will bear works of righteousness for all to reap the benefits of. Charles Spurgeon, the Prince of Preachers, he writes this. He says, the hearer of the gospel will get measure for measure, and the measure shall be his own measure. And it works out just this way. To the one with no interest in the gospel, the preaching of the gospel seems uninteresting. To the one who wants to find fault with the church or with the preacher, they find plenty of faults. On the other hand, the more blessed hand, those who hunger find food. And those who want the solid truth receive something from any faithful ministry. You see, Jesus says that for the one who has, more will be given. And you go, more what? Well, it's more desire to hear, more understanding for what you hear, more hunger, more thirst for righteousness, more understanding of the, the personal possessions that you have right now if you are in Christ Jesus. If men and women come honestly, if they come openly, they will receive with furrowed ground. They will get what they put back into it. Fertilize, water, tend, and God gives the growth. This is why in verse 24, Jesus warns them to pay attention to what you hear. Right? You, you know this again with children. Did you hear what I just said? Yes. What did I say? Uh, they weren't paying attention to what they heard. He's saying, make sure you're vigilant. Don't be slothful. Be childlike. Don't be childish. Make sure you sit under a faithful preacher of the word. Watch out for ear ticklers. They're everywhere. And when you hear, make sure that what you heard is actually of my seed. Go home. Search the scriptures. Hold that person account. Is what he said today, is what he just said, is that actually in the Bible? I'm going to call him out on that because I don't think that's what he actually said. Call me up. I, love, I would love to be corrected. I don't want to 
preach anything that's not right. Jesus says, hold it up to the light. Let it be exposed. And really, that's what God's word does, what the light of God's word does. It exposes men to the truth, and it convicts them. And what it does to evil men is it causes them to scatter. Their evil deeds are exposed like cockroaches. They don't want anything to do with it. They're gone. Parable speech, especially in the Old Testament, is usually judgment speech. And when you read in the Old Testament that one of the prophets starts breaking out a parable, you better run and hide. Okay? That's an ambulance sign. Wee-oo, wee-oo. Something is wrong here because the people aren't listening. You're not listening? Okay, here comes the parable. Here comes the judgment. We see this in 2 Samuel 12. Nathan, you might remember the story, you may know it. Nathan comes to David who has been, seeving, uh, been sinning grievously. I mean, horrible sinning is going on in David's life. And Nathan starts out, he says, there were two men in a certain town. Uh-oh. One rich, the other poor. And the rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb he had bought. And he raised it, and it grew up with his children and him, and he shared his food, drank from his cup, and even slept in his arms, this sweet little ewe lamb. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for one who had come to him. Now that is a parabolic missile aimed right at David's sinful heart. And it's going to explode because David hears it. He is burning with anger. How dare that man kill that little lamb? As surely as the Lord lives, David says, that man must die. How dare he do that? And Nathan, he has the light. It's been veiled. Boom. You are that man explodes the parable. And David is stunned. He's shocked. He has nothing. He cannot do anything except that judgment because he's just condemned himself. He's looked in the mirror. He's seen his own sin. And he says, I accept it. I've sinned against the Lord. And he receives it. And he repents. Secondly, it exposes men to the truth. And many of them are drawn to it like moths to the flame. Jordan Peterson, maybe you're familiar with him. He's a popular psychologist. He has lots of books. He was on uh, the most popular podcast of all time, Joe Rogan, his podcast. And he said this about God's word. Jordan Peterson said, it isn't that the Bible is true. It's that the Bible is the precondition for the manifestation of truth, which makes it way more true than just true. Peterson continued, it's a whole different kind of true. I think this is not only literally the case factually, I think it can't be any other way. Now, Jordan Peterson, to my current knowledge, is not what we would call a believer. He has so much light that it's almost like he has to wear shades. It's still veiled to him. He has so much light. His books are filled with scripture. He's talking about the magnificence of God's word, and yet he, he stands on the precipice of true belief. And that should, that should humble us. That should, it's remarkable that someone could have that much light and yet not be there. And so we pray. I pray that God's 
grace that that seed would take root in his life. Finally, finally, God's light gives illumination to everything on earth. The confession today, we read it from the Westminster Confession of Faith, and it asked this. It said, what do the scriptures principally teach? The scriptures principally teach what man is to believe concerning God and what duty God requires of man. And so God's light, the word, the seed of God's word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. It both wounds and heals. It is the framework by which we live. It is the measuring line for all things. It is self-interpreting. It's living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. All scripture is God-breathed and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Read it. Go read it. Now, the second parable and the third parable, these are kingdom parables. That was about God's word, and these, these have things to do with God's word as well, but these are kingdom parables. Again, what is it like to grow in the kingdom of God? What is it like to be in the kingdom of God? What is that like? He says, the kingdom of God is like a self-growing seed. How can I describe it? Jesus says, it's, it's self-growing. The Greek word is automatos, which is automatically. It grows by itself. It automatically does it. And so we have this picture of really an ignorant farmer. He's like me, you know? He's like, uh, and then he goes to bed, <laughs> you know? He scatters the seed, and he wakes up, and if he doesn't wake up, that's okay. He wakes up, and he comes, what? It worked. It worked. The garden has grown. The seed did its own thing. The water and the, it just sprouted. It germinates, and it grows. And Jesus is saying God's word, like these parables, work in mysterious ways in the hearts of men. Paul gets this in 1 Corinthians 3, 7. He writes this, So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. And so you can be the greatest farmer on earth, the greatest preacher on earth, but unless God makes that little dead seed come back to life, it won't matter. And this should, this should encourage us. It's a great encouragement to me and it's a great strength for me as I do daily kingdom work. As I live in God's kingdom, what is it like? Well, the kingdom is self-growing. So when I, when I screw up, when I am not bold, I can have faith knowing that God is still working his kingdom. He's still building his kingdom. I had a student in my youth group in Virginia. He was what I call a fringe kid, uh, meaning he was on the outskirts, right? He had a rough family life. Dad wasn't in the picture. He had... Uh, weird interests. Other kids didn't really like him. He was just on the fringes. And I loved this kid. And I worked with this kid, and I wept over this kid, and I lost hours of sleep over this kid. And for years, it felt fruitless. Why is he not showing growth? Why is, why is it keep, he, you know, he would show a little bit, and then it would sputter out. And he seemed to be getting it, and then he wouldn't perceive it. And it was back to his old ways. He was so close to me. It was like I had a garden hose of God's word just pouring into his mouth and, mouth. and I was like, receive it. Why is it not taking root? What's going on here? And I wish, I, I wish that had a happy ending. I love that kid so much. And it's so discouraging to see where he's at in his life. But when I see my farmer here <laughs> sitting on his rocker, scattering his seeds, and yet the kingdom grows, I realize I can't force that seed to grow. I've planted. 
Somebody else, I gotta pray that somebody else will water. I gotta pray that somebody else one day will reap that harvest. And I pray that he will come. So I keep, I keep my hand on the gospel plow. I keep working. I keep tilling. I keep spreading seed. And again, this is a, another verse that's very comforting to me. Isaiah 55, 10 through 11. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so that so shall my word that goes out from my mouth it shall not return to me empty but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent. You see, God's word never, ever, 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 ever returns to void. God's kingdom is growing. Now take that story I just told you and replace it with your own. Maybe it's a parent, a sibling, a child, a friend. Who is it you wept over? Who is it you have prayed for for years? Who is it you are staring at the soil going, Lord, I've given it everything I've got and there's no growth. Who is that? I want you to let this root today. Let this encouragement take root because God's kingdom is working. It's growing. And we may never see it. We may never see it in our lifetime. But it's there. It's growing. We might not reap the harvest, but somebody else might. Last thing about this, whether you know it or not, here's what's happening to you right now. You may not know this. Here's your place in the kingdom of God. As you sit under the preaching of the word every Sunday, the Bible says you are being cleansed, you're being washed, you're being instilled with faith. It says you are being filled with power and that an invisible spiritual work is happening in your heart. It says you're being fed with real food. It may seem invisible until one day you wake up and there it is. And you'll look back on your life and you'll go, I can't believe the person I was 20 years ago. When did that happen? When did, when did that change? How did the Holy Spirit, I didn't even notice subtle day-to-day changes as, as the Lord makes you look like his son, Jesus. Sanctification is God making you holy through the word, the sacraments, the fellowship of the saints. You see, this is a work of God, by God, through God, for God. And I love that we're going to take communion today. I love that because the Lord's Supper is you actually getting to touch, taste, and smell the gospel. You get to, in tangible form, see a parable of the sacrifice of Christ. That's beautiful. The final parable is that of mustard seed. We're almost done. It's the wonderful shrub. It's so tiny, a little seed, and yet it can grow 10 feet and shoot out these branches, and it's, it's wonderful. It's, it's this monstrosity of a thing that comes out of something so tiny. And in this world, we are constantly in opposition. Think of all the opposition that is towards the kingdom. All the things that don't want that little seed to grow. Think about all the sorrows and trials of this world. We experience so much loss. But because it's of God, it will have a glorious outcome. And Jesus says, my kingdom, little, little, little flock, my kingdom can look so small, can it? It can feel so small at times, and yet, boom, it grows, and it becomes larger, and guard these, these, puts out these branches. And this is so true if you know church history, how God takes these little people, these little remnants, and yet, boom, they blow up, and they scatter, and it's wonderful. It's a, it's a beautiful picture of the church. But there's also a word of caution here, and you might, you might have missed it. 
but we're told that due to the massive, this seemingly monstrous growth, there is a potential downside. In verse 32, Jesus says, it puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. Now you think, oh, sweet little birds are coming. The little birds are coming. This is wonderful. But if we go back to the parable of the sower, were the birds wonderful there? They were emissaries of Satan. They were gobbling up the seed. And it's oftentimes in true of the church that precisely when a church explodes in growth, that's when Satan slips his people in. And so we should pray for growth, but we should also be cautious. We need to constantly be in prayer. Lord, protect us. Keep us, keep us safe. This is wonderful what you're doing in our church. Protect us from evil. Now, on the flip side of this, think of Paul, who was one of those emissaries of Satan, who was persecuting the church, and then he came like a little bird and found shade under God's grace. And so this is, this is true of our church. A little Panama City, First Presbyterian Church, will we have shade for those sinners? Will we be an oasis in Panama City for those people in our communities and our neighborhoods? Can we provide shade of grace for people who are hot and tired and exhausted? The final illustration that is underneath all this, it's hidden it's hidden. It's a good parable. It's the most tremendous, most glorious, most wondrous, most, most mysterious parable of all time. Humans for 2,000 years have been wrestling with the magnificence of this parable. And that parable is Jesus, our great king, the final parable of God. You see, the Bible says that no man has seen God at any time. And John, the same one who penned those words, tells us, we, we did we beheld the glory of the Lord. He was before us the whole time. We didn't recognize him. We didn't even know it was him. And then when he left, that's all we could see. And now we read our Old Testaments, and he's everywhere. And everything that was hidden to us is now revealed. And did I mention I touched him? <laughs> did I tell you I touched the mystery of God? The veiled king of glory was in front of our faces the entire Time, the very logos, the word of God made flesh. Colossians 1.26 says, He is the mystery that was hidden for ages and generations, but now he's revealed to his saints. And if you are in Christ, that's you. So come. Come like little children and say, Lord, open the eyes of my heart. Reveal him to me. I, I confess I've sat in this pew and Lord, I haven't seen him. I haven't seen him for years. Would you expose me to the light? Would you take away my sin? Would you remove the rocks and the weeds from the soil and, and root out all of that? Jesus is the parable to end all parables. And to you, brothers and sisters, belongs the kingdom of God. Beloved, how, how and with what can I compare Jesus, my sweet Jesus, to you all? Well, once there was a little orphan girl she was lost in the woods. She had run away from the orphanage. They were cruel there. They were mean to her. She soon found herself lost and all alone, scared in the woods. And as she walked deeper and deeper, the forest, of course, grew darker and darker. She began to cry, help, help. But nobody answered. And hours passed, night fell, and all manner of creatures began to howl and growl. And it was at this time that she was giving up hope. She fell to the ground, tears and trembling. She said, please, please. And as she waited for Jaws 
of some large beast to close around her. Instead, arms came around her. And she heard the voice of a man, don't, don't worry, child. I won't hurt you. Come, come, I want to help you. She opened her eyes to see an old man that was standing before her. Of course, she remembered, don't talk to strangers. I shouldn't talk to strangers. I've, I've seen my share of, of angry and mean adults. But there was something about this man that gave her an overwhelming sense of safety and security. The old man took her by the hand and began to tell her the story of a kingdom, of a castle, a beautiful castle. He said, come with me, I'll take you there. And he spoke about the splendor of the castle and the people that lived inside, how beautiful it was and how they loved each other, they cared for each other, wonderful ways. They've respect for each other. They help the surrounding villages. They will love you. He tells the little girl all kinds of details about the castle. And the more he tells her, the more she feels at ease to the point where she falls asleep in his arms. The sun comes up. They make it out of the woods into a large clearing. The little girl opens her eyes to see the light. And sure enough, in the panoramic view is this beautiful castle off on the horizon. Everything he was telling her about better, better than she could have imagined. And as they draw closer, the old man sets the little girl down, holds her by the hand, they walk forward, and all of a sudden, people are coming out of the castle, they're rushing out of the castle. The king is back! The king is back! He's returned. The little girl is overwhelmed. She's ashamed. She's been with the king the whole time. And she feared him. She didn't understand him. Bending down, the king looks into her eyes, and she sa he says, little one, this will be your new home now. These people will be your brothers and sisters, and I will be your king and your father forever. He who has ears to hear, let them hear. Let's pray.